My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Most anything can happen when a young woman decides to commit to her fantasies. Lana Fox. This is one of my favorite quotes from Embraceable, and really kind of one of my favorite quotes that happens to have been written by one of my favorite humans who I haven't met in person yet, but I'm so honored to have Lana joining me today. She is the co-founder of Go Deeper Press, where she and her partner publish erotic books. Novels she has written include the Breakup Billionaire series, Cream and Erotic Romance, Confessions of a Kinky Divorcee, and her recent release, The Swallowing Mansion, which you're going to hear a little bit about today. She's also edited numerous erotic anthologies and written nonfiction pieces for Gaim TV, Spirituality and Health, and more. Thank you so much for joining me, Lana. How are you today? Oh, it's so lovely to be here, August. I'm very well, thank you. As you know, I'm such a fan of your work, and your story is so powerful, and I had a familiarity with with you and your work for quite a while before I understood or, or learned about your background and your upbringing. You've come so far, and I think there's so many parallels and takeaways that people can learn from. You were brought up in Christian science, which you wrote is quoted as being one of the largest religious cults in America and Britain. What were some of the first kind of messages you received about sex and your body? Oh, wow, August. There were so many of them. (laughs) You know, I feel like right from the beginning, um, I was taught that sex was dirty and dangerous. And, you know, one of the things about Christian science, as I experienced it, um, is the belief that the body isn't real. And therefore, any pain or pleasure within the body also isn't real. And then on top of this is is sort of heaped a lot of shame around that. So some of the first things that I was taught by my family um, included if I got um, if I had sex before I was married, um, I was probably going to get pregnant and I would probably be shamed by everyone because nobody would want to support a single mother. Um, I was taught that the man's needs are everything, that a woman um, shouldn't experience pleasure. A good, good woman will not experience pleasure during sex. It's more like a service that she has to do for the man. So and you'll notice this is all very hetero, heterosexual, very heteronormative. Um, and that if she in some way um, is in bed with a man and he... Uh, she wants to stop and he doesn't, he's not there yet, then she must keep going because he could go into a dangerous state of shock. Um, These are just a few of the things that um, I was taught from a young age. But strangely enough, um, when I first masturbated, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, And I also had absolutely no idea that what I was doing would be probably 
considered within my family to be the, the most sinful thing you, you could possibly do. Um, and it was a terrifying experience. But, you know, August, it was also a really, really beautiful experience, too, because from there um, came everything. So... Wow. wow. <laughs> That's a start. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And I imagine so many of these messages, I think, you know, when we're kids, we don't know any different. So, but at the same time, I imagine you were, it's hard not to struggle when you're learning things that just don't sit right. You know, that, wait a minute, why, why is it that I'm not allowed to experience pleasure? When did you start questioning these ideas? You know, I honestly think the day after the first time I masturbated and came, I was wandering around the house and I was feeling like I had discovered something. I was absolutely terrified. You know, I was so terrified because I felt sure I was going to go to hell. And I also felt, I think I, I forget I was 10, perhaps, or maybe 11. And um, I, I really thought I had got pregnant somehow because that was how I perceived what God would do to me. Um, there was so much shame in my family um, around pregnancy outside of, of what, what they would term wedlock. Um, but I think at the same time, uh, I was already beginning to realize that there were places I had not been told about, you know, um, and it was the fantasies that I was having before I masturbated um, and once I was masturbating that were really the beginning. Um, but you know what? Um, I walked into a bookstore several years after that and found a copy of Anais Nin's Delta of Venus, mm -hmm. which was, yeah, it was the first piece of erotica I read. And I opened it up and I said, oh, my goodness, yeah. there's somebody inside here yeah. who's writing fantasies like my fantasies on the page. And that was a real, a real beginning for me, too. It was really amazing and exciting and everything felt very real. So, yeah. Wow, that is so beautiful. I felt such a sense of relief when I was reading your story and came to the part about your first experience with with solo sex. And I know that, as you said, you experienced shame around it as well. But just that you were at that young age able to say, wait a minute, you said these secret places, you know, there's these secrets that mm. haven't been told to me. So what else could there be? And then to have that mirrored back to you and great choice of a first erotica book. That, that's, it's like <laughs> right? meant to be. That's amazing. That is so beautiful. So how did you work through once you realize, because we don't really realize that we are feeling shame, you know, when it's first there. And then we're questioning and, you know, you see yourself in these fantasies. Did you then begin to embrace the fantasies or what was that process like? Oh, you know, I, I think I, I think I embrace them deep inside myself, but I put myself into really dangerous places first. So uh. <laughs> my, my first boyfriend, um, was 25, um, and I was 17 and he orally raped me and I allowed him to do this time and time again because of what I had been taught my role was as a woman. Uh. I was also having sex outside of marriage 
which I knew was a, a huge sin, you know, in terms of my upbringing was a huge sin. And um, I didn't really enjoy anything I, I did with this guy at all. I was not switched on at all with him. And in a way, I feel like my fantasies were locked inside mm. and I could enjoy them by myself um, quite easily. And I still felt as you say so wisely, a lot of shame. I don't think maybe I was in touch with then. Um, but I could not really translate that into what I wanted from another human being. You know, that was very hard for me to do. And um, it took a long while. I, I uh, even in my 30s, when I got divorced, after my first marriage, I still wasn't really out to myself. I, I was saying to myself, I think I'm bisexual. I know that I need a different kind of sexual relationship. But um, I, I, I still wasn't really in touch with what I wanted. You know, August, I used to have fantasies that were um, primarily from the point of view of a man. And I would see myself as a man having sex with a woman. Mm. I would see myself as a man doing various things. And this, I think, made it very safe. I felt like an absolute freak and an absolute sinner because gender was held up in my family. The gender binary was everything, you know, and I sort of crossed it there. But um, it, it took me a long time to translate that and say, well, maybe, maybe what I'm finding out here is that I'm not heterosexual. You know, maybe that's what I'm finding out about myself. So it's been a long process. I'm, I'm now 42 and I, I feel so real and so alive and, and so empowered and loved. And, you know, I'm so grateful for that. And, and grateful for you too, I might say. Oh. Very, very grateful for you. You do such amazing work. Mutual. Thank you. And you radiate <laughs> with that that energy of, of, I love that you said you feel so full and so you and so authentic. And I think that when we peel away those layers, that's what we find. And we, we peel away the shame and, and these ideas that have been kind of imposed on us. And there's this whole beautiful journey that has so much darkness, but then the rewards are so great, which is why I think your story is just so important. I wonder, how did you begin to see that what you had gone through you know, with your first boyfriend and, and in other ways throughout your life that it was trauma. When did you begin to see that as actually, you know, because I think sometimes we blame ourselves and you somehow were able to move to this place of this was not okay and this was traumatic. Yes, absolutely. It took, you know, it was a, a really difficult process. I remember the first time I was with um, my first spouse and I remember him saying to me, I said something to him, I can't remember what it was. We were in the bedroom and, um, well, you know, I know what it was. We were talking about the fact that I startled awake. You know, if he came into the room and dropped something, I would startle awake and I would be extremely frightened. Um, and I would, I, I'm asthmatic and I would sometimes have an asthma attack. I would be really, really shocked. And uh, he said to me, he said, you know, you, you shock really easily. And I said to him, I wonder if something happened to me when I was a child that I don't remember, that I don't recall, you know, and that was really the beginning of it. But I think um, 
when I met my partner, my partner to explain in case people, which I hope people will read the essay in Embraceable, um, my partner came out as trans a year ago. So the partner that people will read in that essay, I now refer to as he, his name's Jacob. Um, and when I first met Jacob, wow, everything changed. I've, I've been writing erotica for a while and that had brought me closer to understanding what I've been through. But when I met him, everything changed because I was with this incredible person who loved me so much and I felt this incredible erotic connection with. And, you know, it just happened so fluidly between us and we experimented with kink. We had a very, a very similar um, enjoyment of sex and our fantasies were similar. And uh, one day we... We, uh, up until this point, I'd found it very difficult, although I didn't realize it, to be present during sex. Uh, that was very hard for me. And I was with Jacob and we did, we carried out a fantasy where I was a school child and he was the teacher. And it was an abuse fantasy. And it was something that we both enjoyed tremendously. And um, basically, uh, I healed it was that sudden for me. Wow. I healed. I came into the room. I came into that room and I was able to climax in that room. I was able to feel everything. Everything was so present for me. It was really extraordinary to heal from so many years uh, in such a fast way. And I, I might say I'd had a lot of therapy before this and a lot of preparation. And it, it wasn't that it all happened at once, really. Y you know what I mean? It, it yeah. happened over probably a, a decade or more. But I remember that rush, that suddenness of feeling the healing. Mm. It was quite extraordinary. Um, I, I'm very fortunate that that happened. It was really an amazing experience. That is so beautiful. And I love that you shared that you had a healing experience from an abuse fantasy because I know that a lot of people, it's a very common fantasy to to have lustful feelings about, you know, being raped or some sort of abuse. And I know there also can be shame around that because people think, oh, what is wrong with me that I'm enjoying this? When in fact, it's not only common, but is it because you were able to have a sense of control? You took what had happened to you and were able to, this is now my freedom place and this is where I get to change the outcome. Yes, I, yes, I think that's spot on. I think that's absolutely what happened. I really do. I think the writing and the reading of erotica really helped with that. Um, I'd also been living for a couple of years in an amazing shared house after I moved out of my first marriage. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was in America. I didn't know if I was going to be able to stay. And I moved into this amazing sex positive queer house. And my housemates were incredible. And we were able to talk about anything, to do anything. I remember one one of my friends walking from from their bedroom while I was sitting talking to another in the um, in the living room and walking through just just with their dildo in their hands, just just walking through and just going, "Hi, I'm just going to go and clean my dildo." <laughs> <laughs> it was just fabulous. <laughs> they they made me so 
so happy and so oh, free. You know? I love it. Was that. Just what, it was so wonderful. And you know, August, I, I, I have to give a big shout out to, to one of my heroes, to Susie Bright, because um, I was listening to Susie Bright, In Bed with Susie Bright, her podcast for years before I found anyone else, really. Um, she was my first mm. and she liberated me. What you say about rape and abuse fantasies yes absolutely she really helped me there to really understand that um there was nothing wrong with having these fantasies um and just sort of playing with them and feeling free and understanding that the difference between fantasizing about rape and being a rapist or or, or being raped is is a whole world it's a whole world. And um, I, I was very fortunate that I had those experiences before that sort of blast of healing took place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love what you said earlier about it can seem like this. It's like overnight success, like somebody's famous. But really, it's the work that we do day in and day out over many years often. And so for anyone listening who's who's not there yet to know that what they're doing you just never know what seeds you're planting. Right. Yeah. That is so true. It's so true. How often do you think that religious shame, you know, affects people as a whole in our in our culture? Do you see because I think you have this unique perspective of having been so in, entrenched in and going through the healing, do you see that this is a very very prevalent issue? Yes, absolutely. I absolutely do. I somehow thought when I moved from Britain to Massachusetts that the leap would be a lot bigger than it was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, I didn't really understand, I think, the historical significance of being in Boston. Um, but, you know, I, I moved here and I found a lot of people who had had um, experiences around religious shame that had been very traumatic and very difficult. Um, and I found also in the UK, a lot of friends who had similar experiences. But, you know, I will say something that interests me is that though my family was very, very, um, without meaning to be very cruel about sex, you know, they were cruel to themselves and they were cruel to us. At the same time, I remember from a very young age, sitting on the sofa with my father, watching um, Carry On movies. Now, I, I don't know if listeners or if you, August, will know Carry On movies. They're very, very British, but they're sort of very rumpy, pumpy, um, they sort of contain nurses and hospitals where dirty patients pinch young nurses' bottoms and young nurses sort of giggle and make crack jokes. And <laughs> wow. They're tremendously misogynistic and really a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> you can look at them through the right lens. Yeah, yeah. That's right? amazing. Right. You know, and and that was something I, I think I came to the to the US laughing a lot about sex. And I, I think um you know, that's something that I found my US friends were able to do too, though, though in a kind of a different way, I suppose. Um, but yes, I have, I, I have um, very close friends in the US who have had Catholic upbringings. 
and have seen really tough stuff, you know, um, really tough shame and have also not been in their bodies. And I've had friends who, um, were very, very, very afraid to come out as gay and thought that they would be thrown out, thought that that would be the end, but they came out anyway, they came out. And I think in a lot of cases, um, for years before that, um, had really been out to themselves in an environment that was really oppressive around sex, but they had been out to themselves and they had that, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I see it a lot here too, but something that did change for me when I moved here was, um, I was able to talk more without everybody disintegrating into giggles. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you were able to talk about sex more freely? Yes. Oh, that's good. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, um, it, and it, it may well have been, you know, it's the, it's the England that I knew before I got here, right? But the, the England that I knew and that I was in was an England where we could laugh about sex a, a little bit like my dad and I could sit on that sofa and watch carry on films without talking about them, just laughing. <laughs> um, you're right. And then I, I moved here and I was able to sit down and actually talk more seriously to people about sexuality, which was um, really exciting for me and and quite a lovely experience. And it sort of helped me to, to take myself more seriously too and to start identifying more as an activist. And yeah, it, it was a really amazing experience moving cultures. I, I learned a lot about myself um, and us, you know, all of us as yeah. well. So very cool. I love hearing that. I love it. <laughs> and if there's somebody out there who is struggling with we actually have a question coming in later for uh, Dr. Megan on, you know, what if you are religious and you really value lots of the religion or maybe the community and certain things you like about it, but you're mm-hmm. feeling really repressed or held back sexually. What advice would you give to somebody who, whether or not they want to stay with that religion, um, kind of that conflictedness, what would you suggest as far as healing so that they can have more pleasure? You know, I think, what a, what a fantastic question. I feel that it's really important that you come back to love. And I have spiritual beliefs myself. You know, I, I, I would never say to anybody that, that their religion or their faith was wrong for them ever. But I really feel like if you can come back to love, always come back to what your faith or your spiritual beliefs treat you, teach you about love, that has to always be number one. And that love needs to be, I feel this very strongly, and I've learned this very strongly, that love is not something that you just give to the rest of the world. You know, it's not something that comes out of you to other people. It, it, it doesn't have to be sacrifice. Um, love flows in all directions. And when you're loving yourself, really loving yourself, really, really taking good care of yourself erotically and in every other way that you can, when you're doing that, others will feel that love too, Mm. you know? And I think there's a lot in religion that says to us, you have to sacrifice this. You have to push that away. And I think that's just all, I really believe that's just all our communal hurt just coming up. You know, yeah. and I, I really, 
I really feel that you will find your own way if you always come back to love, to yourself, to loving yourself and knowing what you love, who you love, how you love. If you can close yourself, I take baths, whatever it is you do to look after yourself. If you can close yourself in that metaphorical bathroom, put those rose petals in that bath, sink down and say to myself, okay, I'm only going to come to this from a place of love. I'm not going to entertain any hatred, any blame, anything. I'm going to say, I love me, I love me, I love me, I love me. Mm. And if you can do that, you will find your own way. You will. I really believe that. And if you are in a religion that, that teaches love is sacrifice, then, you know, there is work that you can do there too, if only in your own sphere to heal that which I think can be a really beautiful thing. Well, that's just my 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 personal heartfelt feelings on the matter. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so gorgeous. I love that come back to love and starting with yourself and 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 that I hadn't thought about that exact concept that love is taught in this way that it has to involve sacrifice that it actually can be really <laughs> beautiful and giving to yourself as well as to other people. And it doesn't have to, because the word sacrifice makes it sound like you're going to hurt yourself through it. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot, there's a lot of talk around about if you're being loving, loving, you're sacrificing and, and sure, you know, love, love can involve sacrifice. But Wow, it's so beautiful when it's flowing in all directions. You know, it's so awesome. I think if I was an angel, <laughs> if I was an angel, yeah. I would want everybody, everybody to feel love flowing in all directions. Absolutely. You, you are. That's that's you really you are <laughs> oh. an angel. Everyone, please follow Lana everywhere because your life will be sunnier. Oh. I you just radiate the most pure love so you are living that so thank you for for sharing that, oh, August. that insight i love you too. i love you so much too so much oh really. <laughs> one of these days we'll have to do this in person i know i love that I yes love that. <laughs> yes so your your story is so brave and vulnerable and i love that you shared so much what is one takeaway that you hope that readers will will glean from it you know, I spent so much of my life denying my body without realizing that my body could be the source of so much love and joy and really the source of who I am, finding out who I am. I would really, really want listeners to go away and to love their bodies. And I know that's something you teach so beautifully and talk about so beautifully. Please love your body. Please, please love your body and do whatever you can to love your body and to listen to all your body's messages. And um, it, starting there, you can have this amazing romance. It will come to you. I really believe that. Mm, brilliant. Such an important <laughs> message. I know you have a book that just came up very recently, The Swallowing yes. Mansion. So before I let you go, I would love to hear, give us just a little bit of what it's about. Oh, thank you, August. I love talking about Swallowing Mansion. <laughs> it's about um, a queer girl called, Ma called, called Maddie who um, suffers from combustion syndrome. Uh, which in this fantasy world means she bursts into flames when things get intense. And that includes things that are sexual, things that are frightening. And um, she, along with her new polyamorous friends, must save the world from a huge sex-negative living mansion. Whoa! 
Yes. <laughs> it's set in an England where queerness is illegal and Maddie finds power in her body, even though her body is so difficult for her. She finds power in her sexual body. And it was such a joy to write. And Maddie is in many ways a part of me having suffered with my body in so many ways. So um, thank you so much for letting me talk about The Swallowing Mansion. Yeah. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait to read it. It sounds so compelling and creative and everything about it. The title, the the character, all of it. I think, I think it'll be a great adventure for us all. Tell us where we can all learn more about you and stay in touch. Oh, thank you. I would love people to visit my blog at lanafox.com. And you can also find out more about us at godeeperpress.com, where um, I I blog all the time. Um, And also, I love Twitter. So please pop by at foxlana. I'd love to see you there. Beautiful. (laughs) Thank you again, Lana, for joining me today. Oh, it's been such a joy, August. Thank you so much. Seriously, one of the best humans. Please, please check Lana out. And that's L-A-N-A-F-O-X, just like foxes. She's fabulous. I can't wait to read her book. If you read it, I want to hear what you think as well. So here's that question that I received from a listener that Lana weighed in on a little bit. Uh, It's a great question from Sarah Beth who wrote this for Dr. Megan. I've been religious all my life and recently realized that it's made it difficult for me to feel free sexually. I'm married and want to feel sexy and free with my husband, but feel guilty for so many things from initiating sex or even wanting sex to touching myself, etc. How can I feel unashamed without giving up on my church? I dislike the dogma, but love the people and ideas. Thank you, Sarah Beth, for this important question. I know many will relate. Here is what Dr. Megan had to say. Sarah Beth, uh, thank you so much for this question. And I'm sure you're asking it, well, not only on behalf of yourself, but there's so many others out there who um, have who are are deeply religious and maybe conflicted about their sexuality or sort of their rights to feeling pleasure in their body. Um, And what I'm hearing you say, because, you know, some people, you know, they feel like the right answer is to turn away from faith or religion. Um, And, you know, that may feel like it's the right answer for them. But importantly, we all make our own choices and decisions. And uh, what feels right to you is to recognize that even though, as you said, you're not so into some of the dogma that you really love the people and ideas and the community of your church. And so, you know, I want to be the first to say that there is a way to have both, um, that uh, you can really take and appreciate all that you value and feels right uh, and sort of speaks to and feeds your soul. Um, but also to, you know, think about sort of the bigger picture and the messages that you've uh, been given or perhaps even not been given about sexuality and feeling pleasure in your body. Um, because I think, unfortunately, you know, you're sort of saying there's feelings of both shame and guilt um, to just feel sexy in your body and free with your husband. Um, and that's the part that really strikes me because it sounds like by asking this question, you're aware of like, you know what, it doesn't have to look and feel this way. And you know, listen, I can't speak... Um, for anyone, for anyone and everyone's own faith, but you know, I believe in um, uh, a loving, generous uh, God, universe, spirit. That uh, you know, we really were built to feel pleasure in our bodies um, and to enjoy those uh, pleasurable experiences. And in my mind, being religious should never be separate from the experience of being playful, passionate, and romantic. Um, 
you know, the Bible doesn't specifically say or deal directly with specific sexual behaviors like oral sex or masturbation. But I think there's a lot of values around, um, you know, the role of love and, um, you know, generous spirit and uh, this idea of two becoming one and having a union. Um, and to me, the beauty of marriage or any committed relationship monogamous relationship is that it's like being on that tightrope that you know you have the safety the security sort of the safety net essentially to take the risk and really to sort of explore uh what are your own personal and mutual turn-ons as well as to together overcome inhibitions and so when i hear you say you know you feel guilty for you know feeling sexy or even initiating or wanting sex or touching yourself i'm like to me it's always like nails to the chalkboard um you know even especially in a religious um union you know your husband is the one person you're sanctioned essentially to be having sex with and you know i was sort of raised uh Catholic, Irish Catholic myself, and I sort of use the expression, I was taught to feel guilty because there are a lot of things that I did that, you know, I didn't really feel bad about, but I was really taught that I should feel bad about it. And so when I hear you feel bad for feeling sexy or initiating sex with your husband, to me that, you know, if you really break down what it means to be guilty, guilty is a healthy feeling when you've knowingly done something wrong to hurt someone. And listen, we're human and we do make mistakes. So sometimes, you know, we may do and take an action that might hurt our partner. Uh, and, and when and if that happens, we should feel bad. And then the corrective action there is to acknowledge it, take responsibility and make the repair. You know, the other day when I forgot to pick up, you know, the, um, you know, the laundry and I know you had a big business meeting the next day. You know what? I really dropped the ball and I really do feel bad. That, that would be healthy guilt, but, Wow, guilty for feeling or shame around feeling pleasure in your body or expressing yourself uh, with your husband and partner. To me, you know, I really want you to take some distance from that thought or maybe even write them on a piece of paper and then step away and think about, wait a minute, am I doing anything here that is making my partner feel bad or is hurting my partner? Because I'm willing to bet there's a great big no. And I really want you to call into question what feels really sort of visceral and automatic uh, because I think that that's just sort of bad habit and faulty conditioning that really is inhibiting and getting in the way of the pleasure that you both are seeking and desiring. Um, I also, though, want to give you some resources um, to look at. And one of them is uh, there's both a book and a workbook, and it's called A Celebration of Sex, uh, A Couple's Guidebook to Passionate Intimacy. And that is by Douglas Rousseau. I'm maybe not saying his name correctly. I apologize. R-O-S-E-N-A-U. Uh, and the other is um, sort of from a Kabbalistic uh, perspective, and that is The Lost Key. And that explores how a sexual relationship can go beyond mere phys physical pleasure and become a spiritual experience. Because I really believe that, you know, it's about mind-body-soul connection and sharing that and exploring uh, pleasure and turn-ons with a, your husband or another human being is is divine um, and is that sense of source energy. And so, listen, I hope that you find a place to explore your sexuality, take it out of the closet, so to speak, and, you know, learn how and what way you might be able to express that in your faith community 
or to what extent, you know, you maybe only share it with your closest friends, or maybe it's even just with your husband and your partner. Um, I think it's important that we never feel like we have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. So definitely celebrate the community, the ideas of, of your faith, while at the same time exploring uh, pleasure and um, your sexuality with your husband. As always, definitely let me hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she said about our bodies being built for pleasure and the difference between guilt when we actually did something knowingly wrong that hurt somebody and that that kind of shame that comes from these messages that we receive. So important. And I hope that you continually feel more of your right, your divine right to to pleasure and as Dr. Megan pointed out, the fact that you ask this question and you and you question the dogma as well, I think that really says a lot about your potential to grow out of that. And I don't think that the two are mutually exclusive where you have to completely give up your church in order to have a really fulfilling sex life where you aren't feeling guilt or shame. I'm sure you'll know whether it's, you know, the same church that you want to stay with. It sounds like you really like the community and all of that. So I just wish you all the best. I thank you for this question. I think it's so, so important. Also, everyone, check out Dr. Megan's website, which is greatlifegreatsex.com for more. She's got a blog there with all kinds of wonderful content. So speaking of pleasure... I had a really fun little experiment recently. Naughty Box sent me a box of goodies to give a try in exchange for a review. And I love what they're doing. They're basically doing this uh, monthly subscription where you pay 12 bucks a month, which is, I think is a really good price, which includes you get six deluxe samples of health and sex products and it's a whole variety it changes up all the time it comes with free discreet shipping so it's not like here is your sex box (laughs) nobody will know except for you what's in there and what i loved about it first of all there were some really fun products uh sliquid came in it which is a really fun uh stimulating o gel is what it's called and i love that it's botanically made and that it's organic. I'm really into organic products. I just think they're awesome. And I hadn't tried Sliquid before, so that was a fun thing to try. I had tried Uberlube before, but not in a while. So this was a good reminder. I had a little sample of that. There was this Refresh Toy Cleaner, uh, which is always good to have on hand. We got to keep those toys clean. And there's also this product, and I'm forgetting the, the product name, but it was like something that you put in your mouth to change the flavor to strawberry when you're giving or exchanging oral sex if you're offset by those flavors. I'm not, but I'm curious to see how that will be. Um, it's just fun to try things. And that's probably my favorite thing about the the company and this, this series of boxes that you can subscribe for is if you tend to, as so many of us do, we get busy and we kind of or we've been in a relationship for a long time and you, you want to keep that sense of adventure and spice or maybe you're commonly putting other people's needs before your own and, you know, just knowing that every month you're going to get this kind of fun new stuff to explore, I think is really a turn on and also a fun way to try products if you want to, you know, potentially find a new lube, for example. Uh, One thing that I had a little bit of concern about, which actually they had a, a wonderful insight. We had a nice little exchange with the company. When you do join, just so you know, you can click 
um, you click male or female as your gender. And I personally really prefer having all gender options. I think it's important to be all inclusive. And they were so kind about talking about that. And I know that they're going to be adding a lot of other questions and stuff. So if you do see that, just FYI, um, that might be changing. And I just so, so praise companies that are open to talking about that and, and, and making things more inclusive and, and welcoming for all. I think it's so, so fun. So if you would like to try it, guess what? Y'all can get a free gift. Yay. Thank you so much, Naughty Box, for that. The code is GIRLBONER. You can probably remember that. <laughs> no space, all caps, so girl boner. You can get a free gift, which is either um, your choice of a finger vibrator or a cock ring. So super fun, right? Check out thenaughtybox.com to learn more. If you are digging Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss a beat. And consider leaving us a rating and review while you're there. For extras and a whole lot more, including ways to purchase Embraceable, which has Lana's incredible story. I hope you'll read it. Visit augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. And please find me on social media. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.